When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, an ABMA podcast. Today we're talking about negative reinforcement with special guest Annika Nazareth. The ABMA, or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I'm your host, Shane, and I am a current ABMA board member and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. For anyone joining us again on the podcast, we're so excited to have you back and to continue to talk about behavior. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior and animal training. We want to provide a resource for newer trainers to learn and for experienced trainers to be refreshed. Even though the content you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but We encourage you to listen to all that you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. We talked about positive reinforcement in episode nine, but today's topic is negative reinforcement. To help me talk about that, it is Annika Nazareth. Thanks for joining me today, Annika. Thanks so much for having me, Shane. Of course. Now, Annika and I actually recorded this episode a while ago before (laughs) the 2023 ABMA and IMATA conference. However, there were some amazing learning that happened in the conference concerning negative reinforcement and how it can be a tool in our training toolkit. In episode eight, we did a brief daily breakdown of the conference. We actually talked about how it seemed that negative reinforcement was talked about a lot in the conference and sparked a lot of really cool conversations. So if you weren't able to attend the conference and you are an ABMA member one of the amazing member benefits you have is you can use your membership to log into animalprofessional.com and you can actually watch all the presentations from the conference. And if you would like to specifically watch the presentations that we'll be discussing a little bit about in today's episode, which come highly recommended, they were from Bite to Flight, Establishing a Dialogue for Free Flight Training by Bianca Papadopoulos from Behavior Works and Putting Our Best Foot Forward by Grace Sullivan from Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. But before we get into all that in the episode, Annika, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey through the animal care and training field? Yes, absolutely. So I started off my career going to Moorpark College. So I did the exotic animal training and management program that a few other 
podcast guests have mentioned previously. So it was an extraordinary experience there, gaining a lot of experience with different types of animals, different scenarios. And after I graduated from there, I moved on to, at the time it was Six Flags Marine World. It's now Six Flags Discovery Kingdom. I worked with marine mammals there for a few years. Following that, I went out to Austria to work with the Animal Training Center and had an amazing time uh, working with a very different variety of animals out there, but it was a great time to really get into the nitty gritty of training details, particularly training chickens, which led me on to adventures later on. After I was in Austria, I uh, continued my education by getting my master's degree in animal behavior and conservation from Hunter College. And so my thesis work that I did there was with chickens. So I looked at how chickens respond to positive reinforcement training and tried to ask the question of whether chickens prefer positive reinforcement training versus just getting their food for free. And so that was quite the adventure training 36 chickens in the middle of winter in Austria. Lots of fun. And after that, that I... is crazy. I did not, ex- <laughs> I, I don't know this about Annika. I did not expect that sentence to come out of your mouth. That's pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> I basically became a chicken taxi, like moving the chicken from <laughs> the chickens from their pasture, you know, tromping through two feet of snow and ice um, to bring them to the area where I was doing my little research study. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, so after I did my master's, I got a job as the manager of animal training at a facility in Richmond, Virginia called Maymont. It's a lovely estate with wildlife exhibits and a nature center and a farm. And so I really got to delve into native Virginia of wildlife and um, really building training programs from the ground up, focusing on husbandry and medical care and um doing presentations, showing off natural behaviors of the animals. Fantastic experience there. And most recently, I have now moved to the National Aquarium in Baltimore. I am the behavioral husbandry coordinator. So I'm part of a team that gets to work with animals across the aquarium, again, really focusing on husbandry and medical behaviors and also reaching out to our guests and inspiring them. So that's kind of my work journey. But in addition to that, there's my ABMA journey as well. So I learned about ABMA back when I was at Moorpark College and um, went to my first conference in 2006 in San Diego. But then starting in 2011, I started going to the ABMA conference every year. And it was really quite life-changing for me because of the people that I met there, the connections that I made. And it was something that I looked forward to every year and learned so much from. And I definitely would not be the same person today if it weren't for ABMA. And so I'm very happy now to 
be even more involved with the organization. Um, I am currently in my second year, or sorry, second term on the board. I spent three years just in the director at large positions. And I shouldn't just say just because (laughs) those folks do a lot of work. But now in this next term, I am on the president track. So I am the current ABMA president and just really happy to be supporting this amazing organization. Does that mean I need to call you Madam President for the rest of this podcast? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And as president, I have to oblige that. (laughs) That's awesome. That's, That's pretty cool. My mind is just full of weird jokes. And when you were talking about the chickens, all I could think of was someone would ask, which came first, the chicken or the egg? But Anika asked, what do chickens prefer? Positive reinforcement or just eating? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, My thesis was um, titled A Chicken's Choice. Oh, nice. Yeah. That is so awesome. Now let's dive into today's topic, which is negative reinforcement. So to give our technical definition, negative reinforcement is the procedure of removing a consequence from the environment in order to increase the future frequency of the behavior that it follows. We talked about positive reinforcement in episode nine. So we have an understanding of the reinforcement aspect of the future frequency of a behavior maintaining or increasing. But today we're are introducing the negative aspect of that. So Annika, can you explain a little more about what we mean when we say negative in terms of the science of behavior change? Yes. So this term is very confusing when we're talking about it in terms of behavior, because it means something different than what we typically use it to mean when we're using the English language. So normally negative means something bad, but in the science of behavior, it actually means that something is being removed. So when we are talking about something positive, we are adding to the environment or the situation. And when we're talking about negative, we are removing something. So it's really not at all that we are saying that something negative is specifically bad, like the typical use in the English language, but it just means that we are removing something. But in the context of reinforcement, since we're talking about negative reinforcement, since reinforcement is increasing the future frequency of the behavior, in order to increase that future frequency, if we are removing something, we by definition are removing something aversive that the animal does not want or that they seek to avoid because by removing that thing, that makes the animal want to do that behavior again. So the negative part of the definition means that this is something that the animal wants to not have around anymore. So that is great context of when we're talking about negative reinforcement. However, there are circumstances, if used correctly, and in those right circumstances where negative reinforcement can be a tool to use while training. I know myself personally, and talking with others who attended the conference, 
had our eyes opened a little bit to new situations where negative reinforcement can be used correctly, especially when coupled with positive reinforcement with the end goal of using positive reinforcement. So Annika, can you give us some examples of how negative reinforcement can be a tool to help us while we're training? Yes, absolutely. So negative reinforcement for me, I have used it mainly in the context of when I don't necessarily have anything that the animal wants. So, you know, typically um, the default thing that we go to when we are training animals is using their food as the reinforcer. But in some cases, animals don't want food or they're too scared or uncomfortable with the situation to be willing to eat food or to be motivated enough by food. And you can certainly insert all sorts of other reinforcers in here, right? Or types of reinforcers like tactiles and whatnot. But um, so if I still want to be able to reinforce the animal, but I don't have anything that the animal wants, so I can't give them anything um, to reinforce them with, at that stage, my option is to have something that I know the animal wants to avoid or get away from. And so I need to think about how I can still have the animal do the behavior that I am looking to get them to do by taking something away that they dislike. So um, the example that I always give for this is when I was training a great horned owl to go onto a scale. And this animal was really not a fan of people. She would never eat when I was nearby. And I definitely did not want to uh, decrease her diet, bring her weight down in order to make food reinforcing for her to be something that she wanted to acquire in my presence. And so I ended up um, using my presence, which I knew that she disliked and wanted to get away from, um, I would arrange the situation, you know, they talked about antecedent arrangement on the podcast already. So I would arrange the um, environment so that the scale that I wanted her to get on was on the opposite side of her where than where I was. And so if I would move towards her, she would move away from me and thus be moving towards the scale. And as soon as she would move away from me, I would stop moving. So by not continuing to move closer to her, I was taking away or lessening that aversive stimulus of my presence or my approaching her. And so by using this technique, I was able to have her go on to the scale, um, <laughs> moving away from me to get on the scale. And so in the end, I would need to just take one step towards her. And that was her cue to move away from me and go and sit where I wanted her to sit. Now, what would have made this example 
much better is if once she got to the scale, if I could have somehow positively reinforced her. So if once she got there, she felt comfortable enough and would take some food or something like that, that would have been amazing so that I could have paired the negative reinforcement with the positive reinforcement. Unfortunately for this owl, that did not occur, but that certainly would have been a goal of mine if I could have accomplished that with her. So although with this particular great horned owl, I was never able to reach that point where I was able to switch over to positive reinforcement training, I did make the decision that it was okay to use negative reinforcement with her in order to train her to go onto the scale because being able to weigh an animal is such a critical part of taking care of them well. It is really important to know whether they're getting the right amount of food, to know whether anything about their health is changing. And so in order to have that really um, fundamental ability of getting this animal's weight, um, that for me justified the use of negative reinforcement to train that behavior. So negative reinforcement can really help in these scenarios where we do not yet have a way to positively reinforce them so that we don't yet have something that is desirable to the animals um, that we can provide, but we still are hoping to eventually move to that point where we can find those things. And I think that's a really great example. We'll touch on this at the end of our discussion of one of the reasons that we really want to focus on positive reinforcement when we are training our animals. But you know, there are circumstances where negative reinforcement can be a great tool to use. So I have a really cool example. This is the first time Annika and I were talking a little bit before we started recording that I personally like fully, I think, understood, you know, negative reinforcement and that, you know, in certain circumstances, it can be a useful tool. So uh, when I worked in the Animal Encounters Village, our ambassador program here in Columbus, I was training a ground hornbill. We had a big fake nest and basically there were three prey item stuffed animals. And the goal was for the ground hornbill to take all three of them and put into the nest because I have to take a sidebar. Sorry, Annika, you're going to hear me geek out about ground hornbills. Um, <laughs> they're one of the, one of the coolest things they do is cooperative breeding, which means that they, instead of going off on their own, have their own family, they'll actually stay well past sexual maturity to help their parents. So the mom will hole up in a uh, nest cavity and the whole entire family brings them food. So that was the idea of why you're training this behavior as an ambassador animal. So one of the first hurdles that we had to teach Terry the ground hornbill was she was super smart. And so she would grab one, put it in, get bridged. And then immediately she'd go, this is what I'm doing. Take up the same one, hold her beak and put it back down. She's like, <laughs> okay, this is the behavior, right? So we had to find a way to communicate to her, no, you need to go get other ones. So what we did was she would put it in and then we would remove that stuffed animal. So then she would go and get another one and then we bridge and give her reinforcement. So in that scenario, we were removing that stuffed animal and thus reinforcing the behavior of her going to find another stuffed animal. 
That is an awesome example, Shane. Uh, I've never heard one like that. That's really cool. In my experience, I feel like I've seen negative reinforcement really work mostly in scenarios where uh, the animal definitely is not an ambassador animal. So it's not doing super cool stuff like cooperative breeding, but in scenarios where the animal probably doesn't like people very much. And that ties in perfectly to the next topic that we are going to talk about, which was one of my favorite presentations at the 2023 annual conference. And that was the presentation by Bianca from Behavior Works. Because in it, she talked about how they use negative reinforcement as a tool, then paired with positive reinforcement in order to give their animals control and to change a monologue of training into a dialogue. So, Annika, can you give a little synopsis of what that presentation was and how negative reinforcement was used in that scenario? Yes. So what Bianca was describing was the journey at this facility where she was consulting, uh, where when the facility reached out for help, um, they were trying to develop a free flight program with some birds um, that did not have any previous history with free flying. And they did not necessarily have um, the best working relationship with the birds that they were trying to free fly. So in some of the um, beginning videos, Bianca showed uh, one of the macaws when its trainer asked it to step up. Um, it started to step up, but then said, no, I don't really want to, but the trainer left it her hand there and the macaw ended up biting her. And so what happened? The trainer moved her hand away. And um, so in analyzing this, we realize that what was going on is that uh, if we break down the behavior, the antecedent is that the um, trainer's hand is presented, the macaw bites the trainer's hand and the trainer removes the hand. So that ABC makes it so that uh, the behavior of the bird of biting is actually going to increase in the future because the consequence of the behavior was that the hand was removed, which was what the bird um, apparently wanted. Because at the time, the hand coming towards the bird was an aversive stimulus. And so at that time, because um, the hand coming towards the bird was aversive, it is challenging to positively reinforce the bird with food if trainers' hands coming towards them are potentially aversive. And so Bianca and uh, the team of trainers there were able to actually still use negative reinforcement to give this macaw a voice to let the macaw say in a nicer way than biting um, the trainer to say no. And so the behavior that they chose for the bird to say no uh, was to lean away from the trainer. So we changed the ABC to the hand approaches, uh, the bird leans away, and the hand is removed. 
And so it, we're still using, and I say we as if I was part of the situation, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, this wonderful um, training group there, they were able to um, still use negative reinforcement to let the bird say no, to say I am uncomfortable with this hand coming towards me, but in a nicer way than biting. So changing from biting to leaning away. And um, then once the animal realized that they had this way to say no, they actually ended up saying yes. <laughs> so they were then, the trainers were then able to um, bring positive reinforcement into the picture again. And um, instead of leaning away, now if the bird leads towards the trainer, they're able to give them treats, all the great things that um, this macaw likes. And so very quickly, they were able to um, move towards the birds very willingly stepping up. And so by just creating this dialogue where the animal clearly understands how to say no and how to say yes in terms that the trainers liked and appreciated and weren't getting bit for, it really uh, allowed them to make great strides towards creating this free flight program that looked amazing towards the end there. And I loved that presentation. And I, one of the reasons I asked Annika to come back and record this episode again to bring this in was we were talking before we started actually recording about why I enjoyed that presentation so much, like what I learned from it. And I, one of the big things was that this is something that I think a lot of us, I know myself, do almost instinctually that we're doing that to give, in order to give our animals a voice and to have that dialogue, we do that. So I really thought that Bianca did a great job. And then Annika, you did as well, especially with laying out the ABCs of both <laughs> of those scenarios. It really, I liked it because it gave context to, oh, this is why this works as a, like, we can see it. We're doing training. Sometimes we talk about the artful application all the time. We're doing things. And I think it's really important and interesting because I'm a behavior nerd to understand the science of why that works. Yes, absolutely. And um, I love that chain, you know, just talking about this really is something that so many of us do instinctually, you know, you say, oh, the animal is shying away a little bit. Okay. Remove yourself a bit so that it gives them space. And it's, it's so important. Um, but it is really important too, to, um, understand that there is a science <laughs> behind it all. And so to help kind of give us that support, knowing that we are on the right path. And a little bit of a teaser for a future episode when you were talking about that by giving those macaws a voice to say no, they started saying yes. Mm -hmm. you know, we can probably go through tons of examples where that happens. And that's because there's a lot of science that control is a primary reinforcer. And that was a big part of that. So just because, like I said, we get excited about behavior here at the ABMA, <laughs> look out, this will be, uh, we're have some plans for some really cool episodes talking about that down the line. So if you're hearing this and you want more, tune back in at a, at a later date. But anyways, as we are finishing this current topic, which is 
negative reinforcement. We talked about a lot of different things. And by we, I mean, Annika talked a lot about different uh, aspects of negative reinforcement. And we learned, you know, some ways that we can use negative reinforcement as a tool. But I really want to end today's conversation with something that Annika's hinted at the entire episode. But we're going to explicitly talk about why we want to focus on positive reinforcement over negative reinforcement at the end of the day. So yes, we really want to focus on positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement because by definition, negative reinforcement involves something, a type of consequence that the animal wants removed from the scenario, from the environment. It's something that the animal wants to get away from um, or seeks to avoid. And so although the reinforcement aspect of it means that behavior is increasing in the future. The fact that there is an aversive involved in this situation means that it's something that we need to really think about before we utilize this technique. It's not to say that there isn't the potential for negative reinforcement to be the preferable way to train something in particular. So especially for newer trainers coming into this field, they might start hearing a lot about negative reinforcement. And it's really important to talk about all the different aspects of training and behavior, right? So it is really important to talk a bunch about negative reinforcement, but it is really important as someone coming into the field to know that negative reinforcement is something that takes a lot of skill to use and understanding. And so because it is something that we want to be intentional about, it may or may not be um, the best technique to use from the get-go. You know, it is likely a better idea for newer trainers to really be focusing on um, getting a solid grasp of positive reinforcement before branching out into trying um, these different methods. What you just said, I think, sums up perfectly the entire conversation with negative reinforcement needs to be intentional. And so I think that is a perfect way to end that discussion for today and for this episode on negative reinforcement. And before we move on to the training tale of Annika, I want to talk a little bit about another one of the resources that you have as a member of the ABMA, and that is our glossary of terms. So every episode when we have our technical definition, that is from the ABMA's glossary. I use it all the time for this podcast and outside of that podcast, especially when I run into a maybe not as oftenly talked about or used training term, I can find it in the glossary, but I wanted Annika to talk a little bit about that resource and how people can use it because Annika was one of the leaders on revamping that and creating that as a resource for the ABMA. (laughs) And maybe if you're lucky, Shane will put in the blooper of uh, what happened when I tried to talk about this when we first recorded this episode. (laughs) I I wasn't going to tell you, but that is 100% the blooper. So stay tuned for the end. It's one of of my favorite bloopers. It was pretty great. (laughs) 
So yes, the glossary was uh, an amazing project. Uh, it was started many, many years ago by a few of the ABMA board members. And then during my first term on the board, I took this project over and the glossary is a collection of different words related to behavior and training and the language that we use when we talk about all of the amazing things that we do. It's really important because if we're using different words or understanding things differently, we might not be able to communicate as well with each other when we're describing things. And it might also influence the way that we are working with our animals. And so the clearer we can be about the words that we're using, uh, the better. And also the clearer about the concepts that we're using the better. And so the glossary is just a living document trying to kind of boil it down all of the science of behavior into, you know, digestible definitions that hopefully help people to understand certain terms better. And so what is written in there now, you know, is up for discussion. And in terms of if there's something that doesn't make sense or we're constantly learning new things. So if anything needs to be uh, revised, it will happen. This is supposed to be a discussion and dialogue also for all of the trainers. So I'm rambling on about this, but yes, the glossary is uh, hopefully a resource that people can use to gain a little bit of clarity when they're lost in the <sighs> wonderfully beautiful but dense woods of behavior. <laughs> I I love that. That's let's start calling the the dense beautiful woods of behavior. It's <laughs> awesome. But I will tell you, if you have the ability, definitely check it out because it, like I said, every episode, that is where we are taking our technical definitions from. And the great part that I like about it is that the language is consistent. So you're going to be able to find, if you're confused about a part of the definition, there's a very high likelihood that the part you're confused about will also have a definition somewhere <laughs> in this document, which really does help while you're looking through those things. Well, you just told us your glossary tale, Annika, but now can you share with us it, a, your training tale, some fun or interesting training story? Yes, I would love to tell you guys about Ginny. She is an African pied crow that I worked with uh, at Maymont in Virginia. And she was quite the character and we had trained her to recycle. So, you know, very common behavior that a lot of uh, facilities train their animals. So she would take bottle caps and put them into a recycling bin. And so at a certain point, our veterinarian for certain reasons had asked us to incorporate more produce into Ginny's diet. So we were experimenting with a variety of different fruits and vegetables to add to her diet. And so there was this one time that we were working on her recycling behavior. And so she takes a bottle cap, she puts it into the recycle bin perfectly. 
and her trainer gives her a piece of zucchini. It falls to the table. She picks up the piece of zucchini and she puts it in the recycle bin. <laughs> so she told us very clearly what she thinks of zucchini. <laughs> um, so I just love this um, story because it really shows us how training is a way for the animals to communicate with us. It was very clear that she says, this is not something that I like. This, you know, belongs in the recycle bin. And um, so that also told us that that is not really a reinforcer for Ginny. So it isn't really going to make it more likely for her to continue to do that recycling behavior. So it gives us a lot of information, but it also gives us the opportunity to laugh because apparently Jenny does not like zucchini. I do not know Jenny, but I kind of feel like she's my spirit animal after hearing <laughs> that story. Yeah. And the next time someone tries to give me, especially if my mom ever gives me zucchini, I'm just going to go throw it straight in the recycling bin. Right. That'll, that'll be my communication. But I love that because not only was it hilarious, but there's been a big theme that we've talked about with we have to communicate with our animals. Training is a dialogue. And what is a reinforcer? may not be what we think in our head is to that animal and we have to listen to them. So yes, um, that was really great. And I love that so much. <laughs> Annika, if anyone has any questions for you about the glossary or about what we talked about, uh, how can people reach, reach you? Shane, they can definitely reach me um, by contacting ABNMA directly or please feel free to reach me at my personal email address, which I think we'll go into the podcast notes, but it is A-S-N-A-Z-A-R-E-T-H at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, a special thank you, Annika, for helping us out and really dissecting negative reinforcement. Also, thank you to James McAlob for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla the Sea Lion all of our ABMA members, and to you for listening and joining in on the behavior conversation. If you aren't already a member, please consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to join us next week on Animal Behavior Conversations. So in the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training. So the glossary is intended to be a place where people can, a glossary is not a place, but okay. I was about to say it again, a place. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> might, this might be the first episode with two bloopers. Two bloopers. <laughs>